Thank you for joining the Bevel Talk, Season 2, Episode 5. Life as a pipe welder brings a unique language, a wide range of job requirements, and high degree of skills. Today we are talking about troubleshooting, making pipe welding easier. Let's get right into it. Welcome to Bevel Talk. We're back with Craig Spindler, Jeff Robidoux, and Andre Stewart. And today we're going to talk about tips and tricks for troubleshooting in welding. So thanks for joining us again, guys. Uh, today, let's talk about some of the things that you've learned in your experience in the field and in the shop. Talk about how to make welding easier and troubleshooting for our listeners. What happens if you forget to grind an opening or grind a bevel after it's been plasma cut or torch cut? You could get porosity. You could get worm tracking. You could fail x-rays. You can fail bend test. Proper prep of the joint is very critical. How, how can it help your... How would you fail? What what causes it to fail? What what's happening in the weld? You get porosity. It's it's a scale. The scale from the cut is going to add. You know, it's going to add um, contaminants. Contaminants. That's the word I'm looking for. Contaminants into the weld, um, which could cause those porosity issues. Um, different things, for sure. We've all seen it. We've all had experiences where somebody hasn't feathered attack or hasn't cut out attack causes lack of fusion or, or something, right? What What's the proper way to feather attack or to prepare after attack? Take, take your grinder, put a cutoff wheel on it, and feather it like a ramp so the middle's thicker than the two edges and get a paper thin where it's just turning partially blue. And when you start to weld, start in the center to attack and work down. And that gives you a nice place to tie into, but we're actually catching the entire root pass. Correct. So... Preparing a joint for stick versus preparing a joint for MIG is is different, right? You, you do different things. You have a different gap, right? So, Andre, you did more TIG welding. Talk to me about preparing a, a joint for a TIG weld. Well, you got to make sure you got the proper bevel angle. Um, like I said earlier, some people like a land, some don't. I prefer a slight land, even on TIG. I think it supports the root a little better. Um, I will even feather my TIG tacks just as I would if I was going to wire feed it just so I have the proper tie-in and I don't run any issues of lack of fusion. And Jeff, how would you prepare for a MIG welding route? Same way as I would do a TIG tack. Feather it the same way, you know, taper it thicker in the middle. Would you have a different land on your, your pipe or a different Not necessarily. Duration? I don't. Personally, I don't. Um, some guys will run a knife edge for TIG. Versus wire, you know, but I pretty much have the same land. So one thing I'm hearing from, from what you're talking about is, is there is a lot of personal preference in how you get a weld and how you actually perform and produce a quality weld. There are certain things that you might like, Jeff might like, that, that Andre does slightly differently. And, that, and that's okay as, as long as at the end of the day you have a quality product that's coming out and you're meeting codes and specifications. Yeah, the only thing I would have different on my TIG is maybe a slightly tighter gap like Andre said earlier as well. Slightly tighter gap, but fit-up-wise, it'd be fairly similar um, as far as joint preparation goes. Okay. All right, let's talk a little bit about shielding gas. How many times have you had a welder come and ask you, hey, where do I need to set, you know, how many how many CFM do I need on my flow meter? Happens pretty regularly, right? So why is it important to have – what's the effect of having too much gas flowing? as you're welding with a MIG welder? Well, if you have too much flow and 
if you have too much gas flow through your nozzle, you're actually going to create um, not necessarily a vacuum, but like a jet effect where you'll actually draw in air behind you, and it'll cause some porosity. You can also have the same issue with TIG if you're running a small cup. If your gas pressure, your flow meter is set too high, you'll have the same problem. Yeah, you could have arc interaction, especially when we get into pulse, stuff like that, where it has an unstable arc um, because of too much pressure, that type of thing. Almost like it's blowing the arc around. Yeah, yep. Okay, so continuing with gas, continuing on with, with your gas mixtures, let's talk about buying mixed gas versus using gas mixers versus using two flow regulators. What are the benefits of either? What are the benefits there? Depends on the area you're in. I wouldn't. I've never done or personally recommend two flow meters to mix your your gases properly. Totally not necessarily something that w- that would be recommended. A proper gas mixer, on the other hand, works out very well. Um, it, it depends in North America. Um, mixed gases are are usually pretty accurate at w- of what the mixture is going to be. Um, if you end up in some other countries, overseas, that type of area, um, sometimes mixed gas is not as accurate or is a, a very good product, right? So then a gas mixer, uh, particularly like a two-gas mixer where it's argon and CO2, is something that's very beneficial to have for us so that it um, is giving us proper gas mixture and, and things like that. Sometimes it's not even readily available, Argon and CO2 is the only thing that you can get. So that's our our only option is to run with a good mixer. I would agree with that, that using two flow meters is just a recipe for disaster. Don't do that, even though we probably, most of us have seen something like that happen. Don't do it. All right, we've all heard it. Hey, this welding power source is causing porosity. True or false? Typically false. Very, very unlikely that that machine itself, the electronics or that power source is going to give you porosity. Unless, of course, a gas solenoid had failed or something like that. Typically, it's something outside of that box that would cause that porosity. Um, Some wrong gas, you know, lack of preparation on joint prep like we talked about earlier, not grinding um, the, the mill scale off, things like that that I would typically see cause that porosity. It's... Operator error OE. More often than not, it's operator error for sure. It could be a wire cleaning, uh, a wire pad that someone had put a chemical on that wasn't designed for welding. They could be getting proxy from that if some someone thought they needed to put WD-40 on this pad instead of just the dry pad. That could also not be good. So speaking of pads, I've I've heard that. Some guys swear by, you know, these cleaning pads that they make it weld better. And I've heard other guys say that, no, it makes it weld worse. What are your thoughts? If they're keeping them dry, I mean, that's typical what I would use. If it's dusty, it's just to clean the dirt off. You have to remember that a lot of the wires nowadays are are designed with a lube, a draw lube on them already with the proper amount of lube for feeding properly. So um, unless that wire is getting really dirty all the time, I don't think that they're, they're as necessary as they may have been in the past, right? Um, people add extra lube, that type of thing to them. It's really just to keep that wire clean if it's a really dusty, dirty environment or something like that. Not necessarily for draw lube or for, for, for feeding issues and things like that. To keep the contaminants out of the weld as much as you possibly can. Don't walk. Weld. 
Every walk to the power source wastes time. Give welders the power to switch between TIG and stick processes at the weld joint with XMT350 Field Pro with Polarity Reversing System. See how at MillerWelds.com slash ArcReach. On with feedability, let's talk about drive roll sizing. Have you ever run into a situation where somebody's been trying to run incorrect drive rolls or incorrect size drive rolls for the wire they're running? And what problems has that caused? Well, I've seen uh, the neural drive rolls run on machines using a solid wire. And what that does is it takes that coating that's on the wire and chews it up a little bit. And it'll start to flake off, and you could end up with some feeding issues because that stuff gets jammed up inside the liner, either at the tip or right as it goes into the gun. Yeah, V, v um, rolls being used on a cord wire, right? Well, that then they tension it down too tight, and that... That's got a, a flux co or flux on the inside or something like that, and they they squash that wire, which causes those feeding issues, things like that. So, those are some of the, one of the things I've seen in the past. All right, so let's talk. What are the right drive rolls for what wire? If you're using a solid wire, what drive roll are you using? You want to use a V groove. Okay, that's designed for that size wire. O thirty five, O forty five. Got to make sure you got the right size in there. What about if you're using running an aluminum wire? Typically like a U-groove. Okay. Something like that. A softer wire, we use those on some of the some of the newer metal cores, the seamless metal cores that are copper coated. Um they're 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 saying a U-groove will be a better drive roll for those as well. Doesn't deform that wire or anything like that. I, I think it's important to to listen to the manufacturer specifications or recommendations when you're running the wire. What what they've tested it to, what what they've proved it, what they've designed it for is what it really comes down to is pay attention there. Yeah. The other thing is tension. You know, I don't, tension on those drive rolls is critical as well. Not too much tension, you know, um, but on the other hand, not, not too light of a tension either where it's slipping. Speaking about drive roll tension, how do you set drive roll tension? What's the best way or what's a way? Well, you can take the you take the gun and you can pull the trigger and feed some wire out and say up against a block of wood or something that's not grounded so you don't strike an arc. Um, the wire should curl off in a or spin in a circle and curl up on whatever if you got a piece of wood. Um, if it doesn't, if it slips, then you're a little bit too loose, and if you can't get it to stop, you're too tight. Along with that, incorrect nozzle sizes, right? How often are we trying to weld with, with either a contact tip that's too small or a nozzle that's not giving us adequate gas flow, causing porosity, right? Yeah, a lot of times, like nozzles, um, we want to use a larger diameter nozzle when we're doing flux core or pulse. Uh, and the, some of the newer advanced processes like uh, RMD or regulated metal deposition, right, we're using a small tapered tip with a tapered nozzle. Gives us a little more pressure on that puddle helps that uh, puddle flatten out, gives us a little more drive with it as well. Um, one of the things that I find is more frustrating is um, when people are running an oversized tip. So they're running an 035 diameter wire, and they run an 045 tip because they feel they're going to get better feeding and won't grab. In the long run, that's not the right thing to do. Right size tip with the right size wire, same size wire. What what happens if you're doing that? Is what What's the issue with you can get little micro arcing in the tip, things like that. You can have feedability issues at that point. People think this because a tip is getting hot, that it's expanding and it, and it pinches off on the wire. Well, they have to remember that that, that actually expands uh, not only on the inside but the outside. Everything ex is 
it's thermal, right? So you're going to fi- find that that expansion is going to be across the board, not necessarily making that opening tighter. Now let's talk about MIG guns, right? Specifically MIG guns when you're when you're pulsing. How do you choose the right MIG gun when you pulse? Depends on the amperage you're running. You know, um, the, especially in the pulse, watch your your average amperage on the face of the machine isn't necessarily your peak amperage. They have to remember in pulsing, where you have a background amperage, we have a peak amperage. There may be peak amperages of 600 amps. So when they're looking at an average amperage of 90 amps, that doesn't mean that they can run a 200 amp gun. Um, the other thing to keep in keep in consideration is that all guns are rated with 100% CO2. When you add a mixed gas in with it, it derates that gun as well. When you're going argon CO2, that derates that gun. So a 250 amp gun may only be 150 or 200 amp gun. So that's something to watch for. And I think that's also one of those things, just like with drive rolls and wire, you need to make sure that you understand what the manufacturer's spec is and what it's actually capable of and understand what the process that you're choosing to use is doing to that gun. How many times have we heard we need to automate, we need to mechanize this, we can get more faster? We hear it all the time, right? Yes, we hear it a lot that people want to run automation or semi-automation with holding it. Um, Biggest thing I tell them is if you can't get a repeatable part, don't do it. You're going to struggle. I think oftentimes people see that, hey, this part, we're going to do a lot of them. We should be able to to automate. We should be able to mechanize. We're going to get it faster. We're going to get it better. And they dive headfirst into it without really understanding what that means for them in their situation, right? What's the best way to get a repeatable part with automation, Jeff? It depends, right? It depends. I mean, you got to have a perfect fit up, perfect gap all the time to make it work. Yeah, it definitely has to be repeatable. Bevel Bevels have to be the same. Fittings, the joint prep has to be the same, right? I mean, if you're not able to make that joint almost identical every single time, Automation probably isn't going to be a fit for you. I think about oftentimes we think about automating and and they get it automated, they get it dialed in, and it's working great. And then all of a sudden, a few days later, a few weeks later, it just stops working. It's not as well. And it's the machine's fault. It's feeding's fault. But sometimes it's it's upstream. It's they've changed the they've changed the way they cut. They've changed the way they fit. They've changed the way they clean and prep. And, and so if you're going to jump into automation, you have to be able to look at the whole system and make changes in the whole system for that perfect fit up, right? Yeah, it could be wire manufacturer, it could be gas, it could be any of that stuff. Right. So as you're looking to automators, people are looking to automate, they just need to go in eyes wide open and understand that it could take more than just putting a piece of equipment in place to get what they're asking for. Absolutely. Okay. Now this is one of my personal favorite things to talk about, buying a piece of equipment, right? What's the right piece of equipment to buy? How many amps do I need? Oftentimes, you hear guys say, well, I'm only welding at, you know, say, 300 amps. I don't need anything more than that, and I'll never need anything more than that. What would you tell them? What would you recommend as a power source if, if they say that to you? How do you choose? More is going to be not necessarily is, – is going to be a little bit better, right? And never limit yourself right at that top end. You definitely want to um, – have a little bit more or a little larger power source than what you're expecting to run, especially if you're pulse welding, things like that. Remember, those 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 peak amperages could be 600 amps, things like that. So um, never cut yourself short on that. I always think about, you know, buy a machine that will do the work that you're doing now 
but that you can grow into to help grow your business so you're not having to buy a second or a third piece of equipment to, to do more. Is there any other common tips or tricks for troubleshooting or, or preparation that you guys have you want to share with our listeners? Start with the basics. You're getting porosity, you're having issues, start with the basics. 90% of the time it's going to be something that's very simple that you're going to think is too simple and overlook it. Drive rolls, like Andre said, right drive roll for the right size wire, things like that. That's what I typically find talking to customers. Correct drive roll size, correct wire diameter, correct nozzle, correct contact tip, etc. Gas. Making sure that your, your MIG gun's seated in and then gas is actually coming out of it and nothing's getting included. Okay. Thanks for joining us today, guys.